From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on April 17, 2023, from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features my interview with Sled Chief Mark Keel on what gun reform measures and bills he's urging the legislature to pass before session ends on May 11th. We look at the critical race theory bill that is now before the state Senate and what's on tap this week at the State House. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley uses some, let's say, fuzzy math when it comes to her first quarter fundraising haul, and we hear from several members of our congressional delegation about the intelligence leak, abortion care, and more. And inflation is still high. We find out what Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond President and CEO Tom Barkin wants to see done about it. And the lead loves hearing from everyone. We love seeing everyone at the Clemson taping at Kite Hill Brewery. It was wonderful. We have another live taping coming up on May 6th at our South Carolina Public Radio Open House. We want you to come see us. And so much more. We'll have more details for you about that later. But you can always go to southcarolinapublicradio.org to find out what's going on with that open house on May 6th. And if you want to tell us where we should go next for a live taping, you can do so at 803-563-7169. That's right. That's our voicemail box. We love hearing from you guys. Tell us what's going on in your world, where you think we should have our next live taping, uh, questions you want answered, and more. 803-563-7169. Tell us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on. to start our episode off with my one-on-one conversation with State Law Enforcement Division Chief Mark Keel. I sat down with the chief at the new SLED lab and headquarters off Broad River Road last Thursday morning, and we talked about a variety of issues, including stronger gun laws that he and the governor have been pushing for. Simply put, we, we need a true felon in possession law in South Carolina. Um, it's something that we've been working, about, working on for a number of years. Law enforcement has been talking to the General Assembly about and, and that's, that's simply what we need. We know that here in our country and here in South Carolina is no different, that a s- small number of people commit most of our crimes. And we see that in our numbers this past, uh, this past in 2021, if you look at 2021. We had 566 murders in South Carolina in 2021, the largest number we've ever recorded. 322 of those murders were committed by individuals less than 25 and 59 by people under the age of 18. Uh, We've seen a 52.2% increase in in murders over the last 10 years. You look at weapons law violations, again, we see the same thing. We see a 4.1% increase in weapons law violations in 2021, 80.8% increase in weapons law violations over the last 10 years. Uh, 91% of those violations are are involved weapons, 76% handguns. If you look at the total number of weapons law violations in 2021, uh, 9,728, and 6,500 of those weapons law violations were were committed by individuals under the age of of 25. So again, uh, two-thirds in the individuals. We need, again, a true felon in possession law so that we can hold those prolific offenders uh, accountable uh, here in South Carolina. Can you elaborate on what a felon possession law is that for all felons? It's for all felons. So what we would like to see in South Carolina is we would like to see our law mirror the federal statute. Um, we have, in South Carolina, an offender 
who has to be convicted as a violent, of a violent crime uh, conviction before he is considered to be a felon. And we have crimes such as shooting into a dwelling or shooting into an automobile that is not considered a, a violent crime under our current statute. And so what we need, again, is that law that, uh, that mirrors the federal statute that really holds those individuals accountable. We, we take trafficking in drugs. Trafficking in drugs is a, is a prohibitor here in South Carolina. But we know that many times those trafficking statutes end up getting played down. And if they're not convicted of a, of a trafficking statute when it comes to drugs, and we see so many gun violations uh, connected to drugs in our state, then again, if they're not convicted of trafficking, they're not, a, they're not considered a felon and they're not prohibited from possessing a firearm. So that, that is one law that you want to see strengthened. What about you know, illegal gun possession? A lot of these folks, I mean, we're talking about people, I think looking even back to the Columbiana Mall shooting last year, which is about a year to the date of this other mass shooting we just saw in IOP, a lot of people have illegal guns, but they can keep getting these legal guns and keep getting a slap on the wrist, essentially. What more well, needs to be done I mean, to stop that? You know, we see, we see a lot of stolen handguns in, in people's possession. That came up uh, in the press conference with the governor the other day, and people say, well, you know, where do they get them from? Well, unfortunately, most of them come out of car break-ins. Uh, we see that over and over again in communities where people leave their firearms. They, they don't store them safely. They leave them in their vehicles. Sometimes they leave their vehicles unlocked. Uh, we, we see on uh, cameras in neighborhoods sometimes where these uh, criminals will go, they're not even breaking into cars, they're just walking down the street checking the door handles. If the door's unlocked, they'll get in the car and see what they can find. And we see so many of these guns that, that are, again, being stolen out of vehicles and uh, people are not safely storing their handguns. So do you want to see tougher possession law, legal possession laws too on top of the felon? Well, I mean, I think that, that again, the, the laws that we have on the books with regards to um, firearms on the federal side, uh, we just need to make sure we're enforcing them. And again, what, what we would like to see here in South Carolina and what is in the House bill, uh, what is in the House bill, the constitutional carry bill right now, is a bill that anyone who's convicted of a crime that carries a penalty in excess of one year is a felon. And they would be prohibited from carrying a firearm. Are you worried when we talk about, you know, cracking down on crime again, making it, you know, kind of going back to the 90s where everyone said we cracked too hard down on crime and now we had this backlash. Are you worried that that's kind of slinging back around here or do you think that something needs to happen because, again, you're talking about 566 murders, the highest since the 90s? Yeah, I think we need to get back to where we were at in the 90s, quite frankly. Um, uh, I, I see it today, I, you know, during the 90s we were building more prisons. Okay, uh, the, the thing that I think is, is a cornerstone to, um, to South Carolina and whether we're recruiting industry or we're trying to get people to move to South Carolina, tourism industry and everything else, is the fact that we need to have a state where they, people uh, feel free to come and feel safe when they're here. And, um, and I think that uh, when I look at the number of people that were in jail, um, that were in jail 15 years ago, and I look at the number of people that are in jail today, and I've said it, you know, we, we had about 25,000 in jail at one time, we've got about 15,000 in jail today in our state prisons, and is there a correlation between that and the amount of crime we're seeing right now? We have to hold people accountable. There's, if people can continue to commit crimes, and there's no deterrent effect because they're not going to jail, they don't have that 
that hanging over their head, they're going to keep committing crimes, and, and that's what bothers me. With the state Senate amending and passing the bond reform bill back to the House, Chief Keel is hopeful that there will be stronger laws on the books by the time session is over in May. We'll see how that bond reform bill navigates the final days of session. And you can catch that entire interview on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. This week, the Senate is debating its $13 billion budget proposal, and there are a few meetings as well, including a Medical Affairs Committee meeting that will look at S399, which would break up the Department of Health and Environmental Control. The Senate Education Committee last week approved the House-approved Critical Race Theory Bill, H3728. This bill will outlaw several concepts from being taught in K-12 schools, such as an individual by virtue of the race, sex, ethnicity, religion, color, or national origin of the individual inherently is privileged, racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or subconsciously. The bill would also outlaw the teaching that one race, sex, ethnicity, color, or national origin is inherently superior to another race, sex, ethnicity, color, or national origin. Now, just a reminder, CRT is not taught in K-12 schools in South Carolina. But Senate Majority Leader Shane Massey oversaw the subcommittee that took hours of testimony. I know some of the rhetoric out there. I know some of the concern on both sides. We also want to make sure that we're teaching history and that we're, teach, we're having fact-based discussions of those things. Personally, I want to make sure, and I don't, and I don't want anybody to, to inf, in, interpret this to mean that teachers can't teach about Jim Crow. I want, them to, I want my children to learn about Jim Crow. Right? I want my children to learn about the Holocaust. I want them to learn about, the sla- about slavery. I want them to learn about the Nazis. I mean, I, I want them to learn all those things because uh, I think it's important for all of us to have that background, that we have that knowledge, we have that exposure to those things um, so that we don't repeat it. Because um, lots of these things happened in not too distant past. Uh, it's important that children learn about those things. But it is it is the sub- subjective opinions that sometimes get added into those discussions that are problematic. And that's what we've tried to, um, to address here and then set up the process where parents are informed and that parents have a way to, um, to lodge complaints if that becomes necessary. This bill also states that students will not be required to attend any instruction, training, or presentation that has the goal or purpose of studying, exploring, or informing attendees about gender roles or stereotypes, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, or romantic or sexual relationships. Senate Minority Leader Brad Hutto was on the CRT bill's subcommittee as well and spoke specifically about changes dealing with what books can be in school libraries and who has access to them, a policy that is already on the books. The catalog, the catalogs for the libraries are searchable online now, and the process for um, objecting is, I think maybe you put the form in here, the reconsideration form. Right, so my point is, there's already a process that's in place. If any parent wants to know what books are in the library, all the uh, libraries have searchable online databases, so you can search for the books. If you object to one, there's this form this, on this page here that you turn in and they've got that process. I haven't heard that that pro- I've heard that there have been problems with library books, but I haven't heard that the process is flawed and we have a process. So while we talked about those in subcommittee, I don't know that we need to, at this point, the bill has gotten refined to a pretty good product right now. Um, I'm not saying that these aren't issues. They both are. Photography is bad. Nobody wants it. The libraries need to be monitored. Parents need to be a bit, uh, 
be able to look and see what's in the libraries, and those are searchable on that line now. Uh, I would just submit to you that we've got a process in place for both of those that uh, I think the subcommittee passed on putting them in the bill yesterday. We certainly can discuss it now, but I just wanted the committee to be aware there are processes in place that deal with those in other parts of the, of the code. The CRT Bill H3728 was voted out of committee and heads to the Senate floor. Over in the House, expect a somewhat quiet week on the floor. There are several meetings, including a House Judiciary Committee hearing in which a major bill dealing with sexual extortion is set to move. H-3583 would define a person who commits sexual extortion if the person has willful and malicious intent to coerce a victim to engage in sexual contact, in sexually explicit conduct, or in simulated sexually explicit conduct, communicates by means of a threat to the victim's person, property, or reputation, or to distribute an intimate image or video of the victim. Now, the sexual extortion bill also includes if a person knowingly causes a victim to engage in sexual contact, in sexually explicit conduct, or in simulated sexually explicit conduct, or to produce, provide, or distribute any image, video, or other recording of a person naked or engaged in sexually explicit conduct by means of a threat. Now, an adult who violates this is guilty of a felony and, upon conviction, must be imprisoned for no more than five years. This becomes an aggravated sexual extortion when, in conjunction with that offense, there is another contributing factor, such as if the victim is a child or vulnerable adult. The penalties for adults guilty of this would be charged with a felony and be imprisoned up to 30 years. Now, a child who is guilty of this aggravated or non-aggravated sexual extortion would be guilty of a misdemeanor and, upon conviction, must be imprisoned not more than three years. This is a deeply personal bill for sponsor Rock Hill Republican Brandon Guffey, who lost his teenage son to sextortion last year. Now to the campaign trail. Saturday was the deadline for the first quarter campaign finance filings, and Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley's were much different than what her campaign previously reported. The former governor and U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, who touts her accounting skills on the campaign trail, has seemed to have double-counted money raised by her presidential campaign, Team Stand for America, that's a joint fundraising committee, and Stand for America PAC, that's a Haley Launch leadership PAC. So according to Politico, while her campaign alone raised $5.1 million in the first six weeks since announcing her candidacy in mid-February, $1.8 million of that came from a transfer from Team Stand for America and SFA Fund Incorporated. There was also $866,000 in double counting from a separate transfer between her leadership pack and her joint fundraising committee. Nice and complicated, right? Now, Haley spokesman Ken Farnasso said, We've reported $11 million, the sum of entities, quote, Had those transfers only been counted once, that $11 million would actually be $8.3 million. Former President Donald Trump's campaign shared its first quarter fundraising numbers with Politico, and it said that he raised $19 million across the campaign, which raised $14.4 million, and his joint fundraising committee, $18.8 million, which he transferred $14 million to the campaign. See how everything's moving around here? And potential 2024 Republican presidential candidate, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, will make his first appearance in the Palmetto State this Wednesday at an event in Spartanburg. We'll be there, and we'll bring you the latest.
Center Lindsey Graham was on ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos, where he told Jonathan Carl that the leak of top-secret intelligence data was very damaging to America and its allies. And he blasted people like Georgia Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene, who defended the accused airmen. Here's Senator Graham. The system failed. This is a major failure. And those who are trying to sugarcoat this on the right... You cannot allow a single individual of the military intelligence community to leak classified information because they disagree with policy. I don't know what led to this airman's actions, but he's done a lot of damage to our standing. It's very hard to get people to come forward right now to tell us about things we need to know about if they feel like they're going to be compromised. The sources and methods of how we collect on adversaries have been compromised, and I am stunned as somebody at that level could have so much access. So the question is, how did he get it and why did he do it? And we, some people need to be fired over this. I mean, as you mentioned, there are some on the right that are not only sugarcoating it, but actually applauding him. Yeah. I mean, t- take a look at what Marjorie Taylor yeah. Greene uh, tweeted. She said, Jack Teixeira is white, male, Christian, and anti-war. That makes him an enemy to the Biden regime. And he told the truth about troops being on the ground in Ukraine and a lot more. I mean, Tucker Carlson's kind of turning him into a hero. What what do you make of that? Why? What they're suggesting will destroy America's ability to defend itself. That it's okay to release classified information uh, based on your political views. That the ends justify the means. It is not okay. If you're a member of the military intelligence community and you disagree with American policy and you think you're going to be okay when it comes to leaking classified information, you're going to go to jail. It's one of the most irresponsible statements you can make. The ability for America to gather intelligence from human resources on the ground has been compromised. We can't have a chaotic intelligence gathering system. If you give us information and it's disclosed, you can lose your life. The way we gather intelligence protects our country. There are military members serving today from Georgia and other places who are less safe because of what this airman did. There is no justification for this. And for any member of Congress to suggest it's okay to leak classified information because you agree with the cause is terribly irresponsible and puts America in uh, serious danger. That was Senator Lindsey Graham, who's talking to ABC's Jonathan Carl from Jerusalem. Sticking with the Sunday shows, 1st District Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace also took to the airwaves to address a variety of issues as well, but on Fox News Sunday with Shannon Bream. Mace, who sits on the House Armed Services Committee, said she was hoping to get more answers about this intelligence leak during a briefing this week when lawmakers returned to Washington. She also weighed in on gun reform legislation in light of more mass shootings, including the one in her district on Isle of Palms on April 7th. Every mass shooting, we just there's just silence, and there's th- prayers are offered, Easter baskets are offered, but no real solutions. And I'm a constitutional conservative, but I'll tell you, Shannon, about a week ago, my kids and I were a mile away from a mass shooting in South Carolina, where six people were shot. We saw the immediate aftermath of that shooting, all the police cars and EMS. And the first thing my kids asked me in moments after that shooting, they said, hey, mommy, where is the Amber Alert to let us know that we're near a mass shooting and maybe we should have taken cover or maybe not left the house so that we could be safe? And Republicans can no longer be silent on this issue. And it's not about the Second Amendment. There are plenty of things 
that we can be doing besides offering prayers in silence. Some sort of Amber Alert, for example, to let the community know there's been a shooting. Strengthening our background checks is something that the vast majority of Americans support. Hardening our schools, churches, and synagogues so that there is deterrence, so that when a shooter, potential mass shooter, enters a place, that they know that maybe they're not going to make it through because there's bulletproof doors, bulletproof windows. Uh, you know, it, those kinds of common sense things are all things that every American on either side of the aisle can get behind. But yet, every time there's a mass shooting and they're increasing every year, every week, we just, we don't say anything, want to bury our heads in the sand and hope that it goes away. But guess what? It's not going away. And I see it. I'm in a very purple district, even though I'm in South Carolina. It is an issue that continues to be a problem for Republicans. And we've not learned anything from the midterm elections if we're going to sit here on our hands silently, not offering any type of solution to reduce gun but, violence in our country. And it's not about you? gun control. May said Republicans continue to lose races, including the 2022 midterms, and need to speak clearer on issues like common sense gun reforms and now even more so on abortion. Here's Mace responding to Bream, asking about how the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America group labeled her as not being entirely pro-life. I find it ironic that Susan B. Anthony would attack me. I'm a victim of rape. I advocate for women who've been raped, and that organization will no longer talk to my office about pro-life legislation because I'm talking about birth control. I mean, some of these groups have gotten so over the top and extreme we need to find a middle ground on this issue. And I have a great pro-life voting record, but some of the stances we've taken, especially when it comes to rape and incest, protecting the life of the mother, it's so extreme. The middle, the independent voters, right of center, left of center, they cannot support us. And again, I represent a purple district. I talked to a voter the other day, and she left the Republican Party of this issue. She's an independent voter. She's pro-choice. Her gestational limits, for example, are at 14 weeks. I'm a pro-life legislator. I'm at 15 to 20 weeks. And so there's a lot of middle ground. I think it's important in how we talk about these mm -hmm. issues and offer solutions. We've got 14 counties in South Carolina that don't have a single OBGYN doctor. So if we're going to ban abortion, what are we doing to make sure women have access to birth control? What are we doing about how do we improve adoption services in our country? What about the kids that are not wanted? What about our foster care system? What about getting nurses that can treat women who need, you know, OBGYN care in those rural areas? What are we doing about getting birth control over the counter at pharmacies? There are a lot of things that we can do to protect life and not alienate the independent voter. Okay, and so that's what Susan B. Anthony's list misses. This discussion about abortion comes as potential 2024 hopeful Senator Tim Scott has struggled to give a clear view on his stance on abortion. Scott, who just launched his presidential exploratory committee last week, said this in an interview in Goose Creek with NBC News's Ali Vitale. Yesterday in New Hampshire, you said you would back a 20-week abortion ban. Overnight, Florida passed a law that would ban it at six weeks. Do you agree with that? Well, I would just say the, the truth is that when we have a culture of life, I support the culture of life, number one. Number two, I'm proudly 100% pro-life. I'm so thankful that I had an opportunity to vote for the three Supreme Court justices that overturned Roe v. Wade. I celebrate that. So I, every time a state, of course, adopts a decision, states have the ability to have the most conservative uh, bills that they can get passed in their legislature. I support the culture of life, without question. But is six weeks the right mile marker? Well, the people have decided that their elected leaders have the opportunity to do so. So I, I say absolutely, as the, as the culture of life is being protected, 
we should celebrate that. States will have different varying views on that. But yes, if I were president of the United States, I would literally sign the most conservative pro-life legislation that they can get through Congress. Even if it was six weeks? I'm not going to talk about six or five or seven or ten. I'm just saying that whatever the most conservative legislation is that can come through Congress is what you would sign. Yes. We also got some key economic data last week. Inflation remains stubbornly high for March, according to the Consumer Price Index data from the Department of Labor. It rose 0.1% in March on a seasonally adjusted basis after increasing 0.4% in February. Over the last 12 months, the All Items Index increased 5% before its seasonal adjustment. Looking at shelter, that was by far the largest contributor to the monthly All Items increase. This more than offset a decline in energy, which decreased 3.5% over the month as all major energy component indexes declined. And food was unchanged in March. Core CPI, which removes volatile food and energy prices, rose 0.4% in March after rising 0.5% in February. MarketWatch reported that Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin said last week that the March consumer price data was, quote, pretty much as expected, quote. He said he puts more emphasis on the core rate, which excludes food and energy prices, like we said. That rate is running at 5.6 annually right now. And Barkin said, quote, we had some good news on energy, but there is still more to do to get core inflation back down to where we'd like it to be, quote. Oh, Tom, that's just like my waistline. Now, since we're talking about energy prices, I'd like to mention what the average price for a gallon of gas is in the state right now. You know what it is? It's $3.39, which is up 14 cents from a month ago. But... 34 cents lower from this time last year. That's $3.39 a gallon across the state, according to AAA Carolinas. Welcome to the wind down section. Our little break from the news. We're glad you're here, folks. This is our chance to talk about things that are not news-related, but sometimes the news creeps in, doesn't it, A.T. Oh, it, it often does. I mean, we do our best to keep it out, but <laughs> Stay out. it's so rascally. You know that rascally news. Uh, the, you know the scene with the, the raptor trying to get in the control room in Jurassic yes, Park? Yes, That's the news. The news has— That's you and me. I'm Laura Dern. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Gavin is eating all the ice cream and all the jello. I am hiding in the cupboards. I'm in the cupboards, okay? But, yes, the scariest part— Part of all that is that the news has figured out how to use doorknobs. Yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> we were just trying to fix it now. We I were mean, really banking on it, not learning that, but we here had we time, are. and then ChatGPT. <sighs> we wanted it to work better for us, okay? But anyway, oh no! Oh God! Oh, the news! Oh, <laughs> it looks like Vince Colblugo fended off the news. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Vince. Anyway, Gavin, fight let's, the good fight. Let's get to our call here. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. It's a first-time caller, long-time internet friend of oh, the pod. I've known that. him for years on Twitter, but Ooh. here we are. And we may have twisted his arm at the live event. Eh, we might have. Anyway, here we go. Hey, SU Lead and South Carolina Public Radio. This is Mark in Greenville. I wanted to say thank you. The insightful journalism and the uh, ability to report without necessarily having a bias um, really helps expand my thinking. It's something I really value from public radio programming, particularly the SE lead pod. Example happened at Kite Hill last night where in conversation, A.T. Shire asked me the age old, is a hot dog a sandwich? And I came out of the gates with an almost proverb-like saying of, if the bread 
doesn't break. It's not a sandwich. And I saw everybody kind of, wow, yeah, that makes sense. But in good public radio fashion, being the professional he is, AT asked, what about a meatball sub? Blew my mind, immediately got me thinking about pita sandwiches and helped me to, I'm not changing my stance. A hot dog is not a sandwich, but thank you for continuing to expand the the things that I consider as I walk through this, this fraught life. And uh, thanks for also bringing some levity and joy on the journey. Mark, it was so great meeting you at Kite Hill Brewing. Uh, it really I was. mean, we got to catch up with him. He yeah. knew all of the old gems from over the years, all the good gags. <laughs> he was bummed that we didn't have an air fryer yes. for him. Uh, but you know, maritime law, Mark, it's all very complicated. And we all know that our our vessel crashed. Yeah. It sunk <laughs> yeah. all those cars that went down <laughs> along with the air fryers. Yeah, on top of everything that happened over yes. uh, at the Suez Canal. <laughs> That was also us, yeah. I, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, Mark, I, I can't tell you how gratifying it is to to meet an Internet friend in real life. A kindred spirit. And have them continue the bits that Gavin and I so very much enjoy to mm-hmm. just— we. We don't live in an alternate reality, really, but uh, it, it is it is close to it. So yes. when we meet someone who has uh, at least one foot in that reality, yes. it's it's the best. There's and nothing better. I, than and that. I will add that my father, who gave me this podcast, yeah, Jay Jackson, was very excited to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Papa, they 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 know our stories, they know our lore, <laughs> and he said, Silence. Yes, that Mark, one hundred percent. succession in my family. You have definitely read the ancient scrolls, scrolls. and texts. So uh, I love that. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Yeah, I'm going to be fearful when the day comes that people know more about my podcast than I do. And I'm like, oh, yes, it's that bit that we did when. I can't wait. I want it to be like Lord of the Rings lore where there are scholars and they know more than we do because we're just making it up out of thin air. Yeah. It was a wonderful taping. We had like 80 people out there. We, I think we had over 80 people. We really well, filled the whole place. above 80, so uh, I just I say 80 every time I see a big crowd. Yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Which is why politicians hate me, because I'm always like, oh, there was like 80 people there when there was like a thousand. Politicians hate this guy, guys. Uh, <laughs> Doctors hate this guy but this one simple trick. We had we had a great crowd show Terrific. up. Thank you to Mayan Schechter. Mayan, oh, what a... So good. What a saint. She, I just threw her in the middle of it because Meg Kennard... Uh, who is not under retainer specifically as a contributor to us? Technically is. I mean, but she uh, was out of town. She had I, things to do. A lot of people, a lot of chatter about Meg not being talk. there. A lot of There's chatter. A lot of talk. A lot of chatter on the streets about Meg not being there. Where's Meg? Hey, where's Meg? She said hashtag Where's Meg? She's broken out of her contract with us. It's not good. Or renegotiating. It's been very. Uh, tenuous. I don't like to talk about it. It's a lot of legal stuff. It's been weighing on our relationship. Yeah, it's been bad. It's been bad. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, great job. Sp- sp- great job to everyone. Thank you, Kite Hill Brewing again. Yes. But uh, Gavin, back to the sandwich thing, okay? Mm. And um, I was really hoping I would have distracted no, you No, enough. no, 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 no. The meatball sub thing, I think, is a, is a great line. The mm. meatball sub, if you have a meatball sub that's between two pieces of bread, you have a messy meatball sub. Yeah. That's no good. But is a meatball like sub a sandwich? Is sub not a subsect of sandwich? Uh, sub, is, I mean, of course sub is a sandwich. Exactly. So what's the difference between a sub roll split down the middle and a hot dog we're, bun? We're talking about, I, I was, I've always been on the mind of the meat making <laughs> the sandwich, not the bread per se. And maybe someone can go through our scrolls and they can go through the transcripts and mm-hmm. say, Gavin, actually... 
you were really anti-Pita. Pita. Pita. No, I won't. No, I was not. I will not. Um, <laughs> I, I do have to tell. I love a sub. I mean, if, I always call a sub a sandwich. I'm not worried about the cylindrical shape of the bread. The cylindrical cylindrical shape of the meat it's is the, where I you don't say like, no. Gavin is hard, hard anti-tube no. I don't know if you heard me. I said no. <laughs> I'm being so forceful right now. And I, yet he persisted. And you, <laughs> now, if the meat is sliced from a cylindrical form, okay. of course. I mean, deli meat comes from all a number of places. I don't know what to think about. But I, they come, the sausage is sliced. So because this, the, our live taping was on a Thursday night, oh, yeah. Caitlin and I missed our top chef from last week. And when oh, we watched it last night and it dealt a great blow to my sandwich definition. I love that you're bringing this up willingly. Exactly right. That's because yes. you're such a good guy. Exactly. Transparent. This is transparency. Okay. <laughs> That's why I like this. You can Thank bring you. it up. Thank you can you. deal. Thank you can you. take it. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So they were talking about the Earl of Sandwich. Okay. The, the namesake of Sandwich. My God. And he asked for roasted meat in between Betwixt. two pieces of bread, and the sandwich was born. Bring it to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I saw that, I was like, no. It's all foretold in the scrolls. No. And so, Mark, this sliced down the middle bread, mm. this may be in a very murky gray area of what is and is not a sandwich because... It was born of something in between two slices of bread. Betwixt, uh, Betwixt the, the bread. Sandwich. So I, I I don't know what to believe anymore. Good. I, it's, Good. It's hard. Now you know how the rest of us feel when you pose these questions. Personally, to it's hard. And I'm uncomfortable. And you know what, Gavin? I'm going to end it here. Okay? Um, <laughs> we, shut we, it down. You know what? Shut it down. You know? No. Shut it down. <laughs> it's okay. We can all do some soul searching. AT. I don't know who I am yeah. anymore. It's okay. I'm here for you, baby. It's this, okay. This hot dog thing You're was scaring the listeners. Mostly what I thought we about all day, every day. need you to be. They said, I don't like this shaking AT. I need <laughs> you to have the hards, blacks, and whites. I need you to know what's what. And um, now we're in gray. And well, it's one thing maybe. I do need to know is this show needs to end, Gavin. So okay, please, let's put end us out it. of please, the misery. Please stop. Go ahead and do the credits. Please. Let it, AT. let it go. Um, folks, give us a shout like Mark did at 803-563-7169. As you could hear in AT's fraught voice, there's a lot to be debated. There's a lot that is shaking us to our core right now. We need you to help clarify it. 803-563-7169. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's where podcasts live. One of many places they live, I'm told. And uh, you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCTV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. That's also where news lives. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Uh, watch it, bro. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>